0: Would you pray with me? Journey with us, O holy God, as we make our way to the cross. Sharpen our focus, that our attention may center more on you than ourselves. Lead us through the shadows of darkness, and prepare our hearts that we might be a people of prayer ready to perceive and respond to your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem." Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. There it is. There's an old Aesop's fable that's called the rooster and the fox. It goes like this. One bright evening, as the sun was sinking on a glorious world, a wise old rooster flew into a tree to roost. Before he composed himself to rest, he flapped his wings three times and crowed loudly. But just as he was about to put his head under his wing, his beady eyes caught a flash of red and a glimpse of a long pointed nose, and there, just below him, stood Master Fox." ''Have you heard the wonderful news?'' cried the fox in a very joyful and excited manner. ''What news?'' asked the rooster very calmly. But he had a strange, fluttery feeling inside him, for, you know, he was very afraid of the fox. ''Your family and mine and all other animals have agreed to forget their differences and live in peace and friendship from now on forever.'' said the fox. Just think of it. I simply cannot wait to embrace you. Do come down, dear friend, and let us celebrate the joyful event. How grand, said the rooster. I certainly am delighted at the news. But he spoke in an absent way and stretching up on tiptoes seemed to be looking at something far off. What is it you see? Asked the fox a little anxiously. Why, said the rooster, it looks to me like a couple of dogs coming this way. They must have heard the good news and... But the fox did not wait to hear more. Off he started on a run. Wait, cried the rooster, why do you run? The dogs are friends of yours now. Yes, answered the fox, but they might not have heard the news. (laughs) Besides, I have a very important errand that I had almost forgotten about. The rooster smiled as he buried his head in his feathers and went to sleep, for he had succeeded in outwitting a very crafty enemy. Foxes are everywhere. We know a fox when we see one, a hunter, a conniver, not to be trusted. In our scripture reading this morning, there's at least one, if not a handful of foxes who are out to lure their prey into a trap. The obvious fox, the one Jesus names, is Herod. Now, it's really easy to become confused by all the Herods in the Bible. It was Herod the Great who tried to have Jesus killed when he was just a toddler, but he died soon after that story took place, and it is his son, Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded and who would later put Jesus on trial. But at this point in the story, in the gospel, we're not quite sure what this Herod's relationship with Jesus is. Since he had John the Baptist beheaded, it is probably safe to say that Herod didn't feel warm and fuzzy towards those who gathered large religious followings and grew ever more popular among the people. He very likely could have seen Jesus as a threat. We don't really know, but the warning from the Pharisees could have been true. Herod certainly could have been out to kill Jesus. But I think the real foxes in this story, and I think Jesus knows this, are the Pharisees. The Pharisees certainly feel threatened by Jesus. He is upending their rules and order. He's healing people on the Sabbath. He's forgiving people of their sins and is amassing a great following among the Jews. He is undoing what the Pharisees have spent decades, have spent centuries even, building up all their rules and regulations, the right way of following God. It would quite behoove them for this Jesus fellow to make himself scarce and keep his crazy ideas to himself. So maybe the Pharisees are looking out for Jesus. But I think it's more likely that they are trying to trick Jesus, masking their own intentions with feigned goodwill. Herod is out to get you, they say, so you'd better leave. Maybe they think they can get Jesus to do what they want while saving face with all of the people. Foxy indeed. We're all familiar with foxes people who are out for their own gain and who will use any means to get what they want, people who are sly and crafty, who can't be trusted. People who are always on the hunt, always looking to get ahead, always thinking about their next move. I think maybe 10 or 20 years ago, the foxes that we would name would be well-known names from the papers, big-time crooks or politicians. But I wonder if the world has more foxes in it now. I wonder if we have become a society of foxes. Because it's not just the mob bosses and corrupt politicians that we think might be out to get us now. Maybe I have watched one too many a British crime drama, but it seems to me that we're all a little less trusting of other people these days. Now, we're pretty sure that just about everyone might have some agenda or another, some ulterior motive or another, some plan to get ahead at the expense of other people. Everyone, we think, could be a fox. A number of years ago, Barack Obama sat down with the author Marilyn Robinson, who's best known for her Gilead novels, but who also writes essays on American culture through the lens, often, of reformed Christianity. And she wrote an essay on fear and democracy that Obama was particularly interested in. Contemporary America, she said, and I think we could extrapolate that to Canada as well. Contemporary America is full of fear. People begin to make these conspiracy theories that make it seem as if what is apparently good is in fact sinister. We start to live with the idea of the sinister other. Now this plays out in our political conversation particularly, but it also plays out in our interactions with friends, with family, and in our churches. Scott Jose discussed this reality on the 12 blog of the Reform Journal this week as it pertains to the Human Sexuality Report. He lamented how easy it is for us to impugn the character of those with whom we disagree. On the one hand, people who advocate for broader participation and acceptance of the LGBT community in the church are accused of not taking the authority of scripture seriously. On the other hand, those who hold the historic view of marriage as being between one man and one woman are accused of being unwilling to love as Christ commanded us to love. It's not just your opinion that's that question here your very character as a follower of Jesus Christ is at stake your position on this issue must be revealing of some deeper motive some greater flaw and such accusations lead said andrew hanover in his recent banner article this week to toxic polarization Polarization, he says, isn't bad in and of itself. It's good that in a society we share different views and ideas. The problem comes when we move to extremes, when we split the world into the good guys and the bad guys. And to hold our position in the good guy group, we feel the need to demonize those who think differently than we do. We assume the worst of people. Assume they have shady motives behind their beliefs or their actions. Assume they want to do the wrong thing, and that any misstep by someone is not just a mistake, but proves that they are a bad egg all the way around. And so we need to stop them at all costs. And the only way to survive, we think, In a world full of foxes is to trick the foxes at their own game. So at worst, we ourselves turn into foxes. We look out for ourselves. We try to stay ahead of the game no matter the cost, no matter what damage we might inflict on someone else. At best, we end up living like roosters, guarded, defensive and cautious. We walk around with armored fronts, putting up walls, seeking refuge in our trees of moral high ground, sniffing out people's sneaky motives, ready to do battle at any moment, to defend our own cause, to lash out at another's. If there was anyone in the world who had the right to walk around with an armored front, it was Jesus. We might be a little too quick to label people as foxes, but there were actual real people out to get Jesus, to stop Jesus, to make life difficult for Jesus. The conspiracy against Jesus was not just a theory. It was very, very real. But in response to this threat, Jesus doesn't become a fox himself. Nor does he indicate that he wants to be like a rooster, crafty and innovative to outwit the foxes. No, Jesus doesn't want to be a fox or a rooster. He wants to be a hen. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says, You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus knows the fate that has befallen people like him before. And he knows which way the wind is blowing now that he is facing a similar fate. But he doesn't armor his front he doesn't put up his guard and live in fear. Jesus doesn't have to assume the worst of people. He knows the worst people are capable of. And knowing this, he chooses to love them. After a brief time away, Jesus does return to Jerusalem passing through the city walls on a donkey while the people chant, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He stays in Jerusalem when the people's goodwill towards him turns to vengeful anger and hatred. He stays as the foxes close in. When Judas betrays him with a kiss, he turns his cheek toward him. When Peter tries to attack an arresting officer, Jesus stops him and heals the man. And when the foxes beat Jesus and mock Jesus and finally hang Jesus on a cross, Jesus does not fight back or use his power to outsmart them or to try to defend himself. He stretches out his arms and surrenders himself in total vulnerability. And so gathers everyone, fox and foe, sinner and saint, unto himself. You don't need me to tell you that such vulnerability is ultimately much harder than living in a defensive posture, that it's costlier, that it requires real courage. And let me add a caveat here. There are times when people do need to be on their guard. There is real evil in the world. There are people who are in fact cruel and vindictive and threatening, and we need to do what we need to do to keep ourselves safe. I'm not advocating that we all become doormats in the face of danger. But are we too quick to assume sinister intentions behind people who simply think different than we do? as our society becomes increasingly polarized in the worst kind of way, and we become more fearful of the other, and we're quick to assume the worst in others, I wonder if we might discover, by removing our own armor and taking down our walls, by becoming vulnerable with one another, by acting as a hen, that the person in front of us is not, in fact, a fox. That perhaps they, too, are just a hen, maybe masquerading as a rooster, all bluster and bravado as they try to keep up with the times, but who wants exactly the same thing that we do? To be seen, to be loved, to be known, to belong. Frances Kissling is a Catholic pro-choice activist. She's a staunch defender of a woman's right to choose. Which puts her on one side of a deeply contentious issue in the church. She is also deeply interested in how to be in relationship with those who think different than she does. And in an interview with Krista Tippett for the On Being podcast she said that the only way to move forward in any real productive way on issues like this is to have the courage to be vulnerable in front of those with whom we passionately disagree. And such vulnerability means removing our armor. Of living, as Brene Brown says, with a soft front holding our pain and our fear and our discomfort in front of us, outside of us, rather than wearing it as a shield, letting it become a part of us, the only part of us that people ever get to see. Because only when we allow people to see our true selves can we be in true community with one another. that's hard. I am the first to admit that that is hard. But God is in the business of using vulnerability, weakness, courage, and love to transform the world. And the spirit that was in Christ that gave him the strength and courage to go all the way to the cross for us Abides in each one of us, using us to fill the world with his transforming love. The Chinese theologian and preacher Watchman Nee told a story of a Christian he once knew in China. This man was a rice farmer, and his fields lay high up on a mountain. Every day, he would spend hours pumping water through channels into his rice paddies. And every morning, he would go out to check on his fields to find that his neighbor, a non-Christian who lived a little ways down the mountain, had gone up and made a breach in the bank that divided their fields so that all that water flowed into his fields instead. After a number of days of this, the Christian pondered what he should do. He could fly into a rage. He could go to the authorities. He could try to trick his neighbor right back. But he did none of these things. After praying with his fellow Christians, he got up early the next morning and filled first his neighbor's field and then filled his field. And after a few days of this, his neighbor was so astounded that he came up to inquire about the reason behind this man's actions. And upon hearing the man's testimony about the sacrificial love of Jesus, the neighbor became a Christian himself and sought to make the injustice right. Love and vulnerability and sacrifice are transformative. So, says the preacher and author Barbara Brown Taylor, if you're looking for a Lenten discipline, here's a pretty good one. Presume goodness in other people. Put away your sword. Keep opening your wings to the image of God in friend and stranger. Don't watch your back. Be a hen, not a rooster, not a fox. Trusting that the one who gave it all up for you will be right there clucking at you, looking like a safer bet than any fox you ever feared. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we cannot comprehend your love for us the love that knows our worst thoughts and attitudes and actions and yet desires to be in relationship with us. Thank you that because you loved us, you died for us so that we would not be defined by our sin, by our worst moments, but would be seen through your sacrifice, covered by your righteousness, forgiven and reconciled. Help us to love as you have loved us. Give us the courage to be vulnerable with one another, to ask questions and seek to understand the other, to share our own thoughts and feelings and stories honestly, so that we might truly know one another, so that we ourselves would be known. We stand amazed at your love, Jesus. Make us a people who love big and love well. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.